Indispensable is a podcast focused on hearing about the business truths, tools, and tips others can't do without. After interviewing hundreds of people for their LinkedIn profiles and talking with thousands of people looking to use professional platforms more strategically, I've had the pleasure of meeting and getting to know people that lead, create, and engage within their companies and in their communities with great intention, abundance, focus, and sheer grit. I want to share their stories so that you can gain insight from a variety of people, not just the podcast and tech rock stars that have become household names. Rather, let's focus on the people whose stories influence those around them, and maybe even you. Everyone has indispensable truths, tools, and tips, even if they haven't realized it yet. And while this podcast isn't about LinkedIn and how to use it, it may weave its way in from time to time. It is, after all, our favorite platform for networking and doing business. Come, join us, and get to know some of my colleagues, clients, friends, and neighbors. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Indispensable, the podcast based on business truths, tools, and tips you can't do without. Today, I have a very dear, dear, dear friend of mine and colleague, client. We've sort of mashed it up a whole lots of lots of ways over the years. Yvonne Lyons, who is with Right Source Marketing based in Baltimore, Maryland. When I asked Yvonne how she should be introduced, she's the person with two business cards. She is both the VP of Con- Creative Services and Chief Operating Officer. And sometimes that's what happens. You sometimes need two business cards when you work in a small business and do a little bit of everything, right? Welcome, Yvonne. Thank you, and thanks for having me. I'm happy to be here. Always happy to talk to you, old friend. Right. We go back a long way. Um, We both come out of more traditional marketing worlds where we first met when Yvonne was my um, client at Blue Cross Blue Shield, which is known as Care First in Maryland, and she was the marketing director. I was somebody who sold a whole lot of printing to Care First, and we used to do a lot of printing together. As our careers have both evolved, we um, have become dear, close friends, and it's always great to have a conversation with Yvonne because I always get the truth, so whether I like it or not. (laughs) (laughs) That's probably true. Right? You always need to have those truth tellers in your life. So business truth number one, if you don't have a truth teller, find somebody like Yvonne and she'll be that truth teller for you. So everybody needs a few of those. So tell us a little bit about your role, what you do currently, and a little bit about RightSource. Um, well, maybe I'll do it the other way around. So RightSource um, is, a, uh, as you said, um, content marketing company. We have two locations, one outside of Baltimore and one outside of D.C. and rest in Virginia. Um, we've been around for 10 years. I've been here for six of those. Um, and we are—we were probably in the content marketing game before it was like what everyone did. Um, and so, you know, over time, we have obviously grown with what has been happening in marketing. Um, we have added um, a full um, complement of marketing technology services, but we are still very much focused on content marketing. Um, and now have just recently kind of um, started to reposition ourselves or maybe um, sort of talk about ourselves a little bit differently because what we're finding is that, as everyone knows, content, content marketing is not super unique anymore. Everyone kind of needs to be doing it, but what we find is that people aren't always doing it efficiently. Like people have lots and lots of content, and some of it just sits there, um, you know, 60 to, 60 to 70% of marketing created content like goes unused and yet people just keep making more and more and more of it. So what we're talking to people about now is being really efficient with content you create and efficient with the marketing to get the con, you know, right content to the right people at the right time. Right. I think that that's so important because, you know, you write a book, uh, an ebook or a blog post or a white paper and you're like, okay, done on to the next one. And I think lots of times we're like, okay, did, did we, where did it get published? Right? Like 
how are we using it? How can we repackage it? And those are the questions that like people kind of look back at me when I ask those questions. How are you using your content and have you promoted it with a little bit of that like golden retriever head tilt, right? <laughs> That's absolutely true. And we talk to a lot of, you know, both clients and prospects who um, I think are frustrated by the fact that um, whoever in their organization, the marketing department or whatever, keeps saying we have to cre keep creating more content, whereas the people who are approving budgets kind of say, well, well, how are you, like, how can you prove the value of this? Like, how do I know that it makes sense to keep spending money on content, right? Because of exactly the things that you said, they make something, it takes a long time to make it, it can be very expensive in terms of, you know, people hours and, and production and all of that stuff. And then, you know, they, people send out an email and they post it on their website and kind of like, okay, it's done. Now we need to make another one. And they're absolutely not getting, um, you know, the return on the investment. Cause you know, sometimes, especially those big pieces of anchor content can be like really involved and very time consuming. And um, I think people are kind of coming around to maybe needing to look at that stuff again, how they're doing things and saying, well, how much can, how much mileage can I actually get out of that piece and what am I doing with it? Um, so that's kind of what we're focused on. And my job here is to, um, I oversee all of content creation and strategy, but also, um, the delivery of design services. And then on the side, I'm the COO. Right. So you're probably, you get those conversations because on the COO, when you're wearing that hat, it's all about profitability and efficiency and systems and process and all that good stuff. So you can really have those conversations with clients about the people who are trying to create some accountability and ROI and have like yep. reasonable conversations. So you can kind of talk the same language, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's a big thing. You know, everybody's, um, Everybody's trying to, you know, prove ROI, right? Every single thing that you do needs to, you know, you're always better off if you can prove it rather than just being a cost center to somebody. Um, and, you know, marketing has really come a long way where now you can prove a lot of it, you know, with technology and making the right choices and, um, and all of that stuff. And, you know, whatever, 10 years ago or 20 years ago, it was all you were kind of like hoping and guessing and, you know, seeing if you could track things, and that's not the world that we're in anymore. Yeah, I, I think it's really interesting. Um, I see from our side when we're doing training, um, one of the first things I'll say to a client is, you know what, we can only get you so far on LinkedIn, for example, because you don't have any content, right? So if you don't have any content, like we only have so much to work with. If you do have content, great. Now let's get your salespeople involved so that they can be sharing that content because you can put it out on all these channels, but if nobody's sharing it into their networks, like it just sort of sits there, right? And it's not any longer build it and they will come, right? Like you have to promote it. You have to send it out. You have to weave it into conversation. Um, and I see, and I don't know if you all see this, but I see so many marketing departments with these resources and they've spent a lot of money and time and energy and yet everybody else in their company thinks that's just a marketing function and they don't have to participate. And I'm like, no, that's very wrong, right? What's your yeah, thought on that? And it's tough. Well, we run into that with our clients all the time um, and you know, it's, it really takes almost like a big education effort to get people to understand how it's important for the company that they work for, but it's also important to them personally, like for building their own personal brand to be sharing and to be active on their social channels. And, um, you know, we always tell people like, look, you don't have to you know, post your company's content on every channel that you're on, on social media, right? You can keep some personal right? If you don't want to post stuff on Facebook, don't do that, right? Keep that for your personal life. But um, for your own personal brand, forget about helping your company, like you need to be active. And, um, but we, we hear it all the time from clients, our people don't want to share our stuff, right? And you can make it easy for them. Like we create an email when we, when we create new content for a client and write up those social posts and say, all you have to do is copy and paste this or make some adjustments to customize it for the way that you would sound. But it's still, 
it's hard to get folks to um, to share. So, you know, sometimes we tell people, well, only share the stuff that you think is actually relevant to your job or that you're interested in, right? So if you're a tech person, then, you know, share the really techie stuff. And if there's a piece that comes out that, you know, has to do with writing content or, you know, business mentality or something like that, you know, if that's not your thing, then don't share that. But, um, you know, it, it, it's a it's a problem I see in every every client has that, like how to get folks to share. And it's super important, obviously. Right. I think there's still this shift and sort of this place where people get comfortable building their own personal brand and how they share their expertise, right? And how they can use this content to not just like it, because I'm always telling people, don't just like it because it begins to look gratuitous if you're just liking things, right? And it looks automated, but put your spin on it, right? Introduce it, mention some people, like like customize it so that people can get to know you through this post that actually came from your company. And I think that that's not, everybody's just not comfortable doing that. People are afraid to make a mistake, right? And look silly or get called out on it or whatever. And I'm like, don't worry about it. Just try it. Just do it a couple of times and see if it, you can like, just go outside of your comfort zone a little bit and it'll be, it'll all be okay. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, no, I think that's true. And I think like it helps, you know, that adding that piece of it, a little bit of opinion or why you think the article is good or it's interesting. And it doesn't obviously just have to be the stuff from your own company. Obviously, you're helping your company by sharing and um, getting a piece distributed more widely. But like the more bits of insight that you can offer, whether it's your content or something that you read elsewhere, um, you know, the more you provide your audience, then your network with stuff that's like interesting, you know, people will then be like, oh, you know what, Colleen had a, like a really interesting article the other day from the New York Times that she shared. So I'm going to try to keep an eye on what she's sharing, because a lot of times I find the same thing interesting, right? So you, you know, you actually build your own little audience over time by sharing smart things and, and, you know, offering up your two senses to like why they matter. Yeah, I think it's exactly right. And I think it's an ongoing, I think companies, marketing departments, sales teams, they have to continually encourage and talk and train about doing this and how to do it. And I think that their executive leadership needs to make sure that they are explaining to their employees, hey, this is important. This is visibility for us. This is, so you need to like take it seriously. But the leadership has to take it seriously too. Yeah, I agree. Right. So you have, I want to pick up on something you mentioned um, in your intro, which was you've all been doing content way before a lot of other companies were doing content. And I think probably in the Baltimore area, you were really one of the first groups, first companies really just focused on content. So over the last three to five years, you've been there six years, you've seen it change a lot. Um, and I think one of the things that I've always noticed about your client base is you've got many, many clients who are either have very complicated subject areas, right? And and I hear from a lot of people say, oh, yeah, you know, I want to, I've outsourced my content, but they never really get my voice or, you know, they don't, they don't. They don't know about my topic as much as I do. And I'm like, well, of course they don't, right? They're, they're not you. They haven't been doing that every day for 10 years. So you guys have seemed to have kind of um, figured that piece out, that really technical, complicated subject matter. How have you been able to do that as successfully as you have? Yeah, um, that's that whole kind of niche content and really for complex subjects has sort of been our sweet spot. Um, and I think part of it is, um, you know, when, when Mike Sweeney and Will Davis started this company, they called it right source because their whole concept was to source the right partners if needed um, to get the content done accurately. Right. That's where the name came from. Um, and so we won't, we haven't, and we won't have like staff writers. A lot of agencies have writers. They're, you know, by nature, they have to be generous. Um, and that's where I think a lot of companies fall down, especially in these niche areas, right? You can't, as a generalist, write um, at a very um, 
sophisticated level about something like supercomputing or cold form steel framing or, you know, healthcare topics. Like you have to have specialist writers for that. So we actually have now have built up quite a long list of people, um, writers who we've partnered with over time for very specific sub subjects. And we try to find people who have actually like worked in a particular industry. So maybe you were an IT person or maybe you were an engineer and then you found out that you actually could write. And a lot of people have made those kinds of shifts where they have the technical training in engineering or some kind of science or whatever it is, and then they shift over to be writers. And those are the people that we sort of seek out. And then we couple them up with an editor who is on our staff, who sort of manages the direction, makes sure that um, any content that comes in is sort of aligned with the goals that we've set up for the clients, for their business goals and their marketing objectives. Um, and that's kind of how we've been successful because you can't like, if, if, if audiences who are super technical see that you are just trying to pull one over on them, and, you know, like, it, it's, it's really obvious really fast. And a lot of our clients want, you know, very technical content that will appeal to the, not necessarily only the business decision makers, but a lot of them want sort of two-tiered content. Well, let's do some that appeals to business decision makers, but we also have to talk to people who are in the trenches. So the engineers and the, you know, the software designers and stuff like that. And, you know, that has to be like very in-depth content. So that's how we've handled it. And we've been pretty successful doing that. Yeah, I think it's so interesting because I, you know, I look at a lot of content too and I'm like, well, this is you, the bar is so much higher than it was even a couple of years ago, right? Like the fluff oh, yeah. stuff or like 101 and, you know, I'm, and in full disclosure, everybody, you know, Yvonne was probably was my original editor for Ed and Tarot Advisory. So it goes back. So when I was like, hey, I'm going to blog, I'm like, oh, can't just let my stuff go out. So, you know, Yvonne sort of kept me um, on the straight and narrow. And, and, and I think it was important because it sort of set an expectation. And I would suggest, and, and probably giving up my blog would be the last thing I would give up in running my business because I think like my voice, I, I'm, I, I write a certain way based on it's very similar to how I talk. Right. But you are able to kind of keep it at a high level without like losing my voice. Right. And I think that that's kind of a good blend. And I think that um, no matter what you do, if you're outsourcing it or you're managing your own blog, you have to have somebody edit, right? Can you talk about the value of editing? Yeah, for sure. Because kind of like what you were referring to earlier, that the content, like it is just a crowded, messy place out there in the content world now. And there's so much of it. And like I said, you know, people have tons and they keep cranking out more and more every day, right? So to stand out from that, you have to be better than most people, right? You have to be, buttoned up in terms of like the little annoying things like the grammar like do you do you sound like you have your act together because if you're a business and you you're trying to present yourself as a thought leader in the space and then like you don't know the difference between two two and two like you look like a mess right so you've got you got to have even those little things together and those are things where even if you're writing your own content there are plenty of proofreaders and editors out there and even software um you know, packages like Grammarly and things like that, that you can get for free that will fix, you, you know, the big blunders that when you've looked at something 10 times, you don't see anymore. Um, but I do think it is like the writing part is super important. And it's important to, you know, think about, I would always say, do less copy, but have it be really, really good rather than like, oh, I have to do a blog post every day or I have to do blog posts every week. Like if you can't do a really, really high quality blog post every week, then don't do one a month, mm -hmm. right? But if you're going to put junk out there, people are going to, you'll lose your audience like really fast because people are really discerning now, right? There's lots of places to get good content. So you have to approach every piece of content you make like this has to be better than everybody else's on this subject matter. Right. So I'm a two, I am also a very big fan of Grammarly and always suggest Grammarly, have it running pretty much everywhere in my emails, within my, even within LinkedIn, it pops up right in my messaging center. So even a writer and editor such as Yvonne is endorsing Grammarly, right? 
Yeah. Yeah, because, you know, I mean, everyone makes mistakes. It doesn't matter how big a grammar nerd you are, right? Like, everybody's moving quickly, and we're all trying to get a lot of things done in a day. And, you know, it's easy to make dumb mistakes where you, you know, forget a word or, you know, just like those really basic things that make it seem like, ah, I would have just seemed a little more buttoned up if I hadn't done that. Um, And the same thing with creating content, right? Like, you can write some really great stuff, but like when you look at something four or five times, you it's really easy to just not, your brain inserts words that aren't there. The ones that are supposed to be there that are actually missing in your copy, your brain doesn't see them anymore. So, you know, there's all these old tricks that like, you know, they taught us in like writing school about, you know, try to read things backwards and, you know, read it out loud. And there's all those things. But now there's like all this software that can like spot your dumbness, like in a heartbeat. So, you know, you may as well use it. I agree. I mean, we see so many people and um, within their LinkedIn messaging center. And I'm like, don't reply using the mobile app. Don't do it. Don't do it because these are people you actually want to start a conversation with and hopefully will like engage with you and hire you. And you've just sent a response using your phone and like that, whatever you just thought you said, you didn't actually say and you sound crazy. <laughs> and people are like, but I use my phone for everything. I'm like, well, maybe you wait until you get home that night or whatever, and then you send a message, right? Because we do expect, as business professionals, some sort of level of at least coherence. I don't know, right? Oh, yeah, I totally agree. I think I'm a big proponent of everything you write and everything you put out there about your company says something about you, right? And even the little things, right? If you're running a business or a department or whatever, it's those little things that you're like, oh, I'm just going to do this quick. And then, you know, whatever, your phone auto corrects something ridiculous <laughs> for you. And you sound like you don't have your act together, right? And um, I just, I think, you know, that's why we say like content is everywhere, right? It's the little tagline you have on your invoice. It's whatever is on the outside of your envelopes. It's, it's all of that stuff. So that's all got to be right. And it's the same thing for like the email that you shoot off to somebody or the message you send them in LinkedIn, like that's got to be together too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think that people just are moving too fast. So sometimes we actually have to, number one, not multitask and number two, just slow ourselves down and Mm -hmm. think about it before we press the button. Right. Yeah. So for sure. What other tools do you like other than Grammarly? What are some of your go-to tools? Mm -hmm. Well, like I am kind of a, you know, a grammar content nerd. So I wouldn't say I rely really heavily on like lots of software things, whatever. I am a like a person who looks everything up in the AP style book. I mean, I'm a big proponent of that. I know that like puts me on the end of like a spectrum that most people are like, what? Why would I ever do that? I don't but, I wouldn't you know, even know where to find the book. Well, like everything else today, it's online. <laughs> um so yeah I mean I don't know I'm not a big I wouldn't say like oh here's the bajillion apps probably if I really thought about it I could there are some that I use but I think you even forget about like what you're using like I don't I don't know we there's still things like we do content calendars um we do use like at work I will say we rely pretty heavily on Asana as our project management software and Um, within that we put, you know, our editorial calendars and stuff like that. And so we do rely on that and it's easy to use. And, you know, you, I feel like, I don't, I don't know as much on the corporate side, but I'm sure, um, something like that has got to be valuable for everybody. It's like a must on to the agency side when you have so many people touching one project, um, to have some place where everything lives and you can get a status on everything and you know where projects are shifting from sort of one phase to the next. Um, so we do rely pretty heavily on that. Um, but we also have clients who are like, I want my editorial calendar in a Google sheet, please. So that I can, I just like to look at a spreadsheet. And so we have lots of them like that too. And that's, just what they want and so you know on the agency side sometimes you just have to give people what they want not what you think they should use right it's kind of all over the place and so you're a bit of a 
definitely a grammar nerd, but you're also kind of, an, mm. along with me, a notebook nerd. Oh, so much. I love notebooks. <laughs> right? Can we just talk about notebooks true. just for 30 seconds, right? Like, it's so true. still analog for note-taking, right? So yes, Yvonne and I, over the years, have, like, given presents to one another, and they're usually notebooks of some sort, right? Like, ooh, and mm -hmm. we get excited about notebooks, and they're, I think we're still probably in pursuit of the perfect notebook. Oh, yeah, for sure. And I have, like, changed how I use notebooks, like, you know, a couple times a year. You know, it goes from being my to-do list, because I have always been very reliant on the handwritten to-do list, because I love the satisfaction of crossing things off. Um, but I also am a person like I have to have everything in one place. So my notebook was, you know, if I meet with a client or whatever, the notes I'm jotting down are on a particular page in there. My to-do list might be the next page, which was sort of messing me up. So, you know, I threw my to-do list in a sauna and then still I find myself during the day back to the notebook. I don't think I will ever be like a non-notebook person. Like I can't, I don't know. I just, and I think that's also like, it does seem wrong, but you and I also came from the era of where we were doing things on paper, right? We were putting ink on paper for a long time, and, you know, then you kind of nerd out, too, about, like, oh, what paper should we use? <laughs> you know, how heavy should it be, and what kind of coating should we put on it? And that's a big part of my, like, notebook qualification process as well, right? It can't just be any kind of paper in there. It's got to feel nice, and Cover's got to be good quality. So I think it partly goes back to a little bit being like an ink on paper person too. Mm -hmm. And there's something very tactile about, right? Like, ta you know, like we yes. can touch it and feel it. Yes. And so I met with somebody last week for the first time and I approached him. We met for coffee and his notebook was in front of him and spiral bound and he had a black pen with him. So I was good. I could tell he was going to be very into his notebook. And he shared with me how he uses his notebook. Left-hand pages are for one type of thinking. Right-hand pages are, was for something else like um, client notes. And he said he was absolutely OCD about his notebooks. And I was like, oh my goodness, mm -hmm. a man after my own heart. Like, it's so interesting to me how, like, that's a very personal thing right? And you're either mm -hmm. into it or you're just using apps on your phone. But I find more and more people that I talk to are going back, sort of like um, going and really loving their notebooks and writing things out. And, you know, scientifically, right? Like they've researched it. You retain more when you actually write something when down. When you write it. Yeah. 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 Oh, I have definitely, I always know when I talk to somebody and they can explain to me their notebook system, I'm like, oh, this person is going to be good, right? And we have a few people here at RightSource. I, I think most of us have a notebook system of some sort. There's a couple people here who aren't notebook people. Um, and you would think, like, what we do is digital marketing, right? And we use all these platforms where we can keep track of the to-dos and assign things to people and whatever. But I find, you know, probably um, three-quarters of us are using some kind of a notebook and have a system for it. Like there's one person here who is like very particular, specific kind of notebook, has the neatest handwriting ever. If something doesn't get done today, she wipes it out and moves it to the next day. And then it wow. gets a pink highlight because it didn't get like, she's very, very particular about things. So everybody's like, you know, but if somebody can, when I'm interviewing someone, if they can explain to me or better yet, show me their notebook and I can tell there's some kind of system going on, I'm like, well, you're going to be good because I think it's like, it just shows you organized thinking, right? My notebook, I would not say shows organized thinking, mm. <laughs> but everything gets in there somehow. Yeah, I would say that. Yeah, I would say that's really um, a good point. You all wrote a blog post. I think it was uh, Mike Sweeney who wrote a blog post years ago about following directions for applying for a job, right? And it was yeah. a little on the snarky side, like Mike was calling some people out on that, right? If I remember yeah. correctly. And yep. yet it's true, right? Like this critical thinking, organized thinking, and how it's manifested, right? And and because it's really important for what you do, right? You can't be a right. good writer yeah. if you're like rambling all over the place, right? 
Right. Yeah, it's true. It's just like I was saying to you. Right. On this, I was like, I have followed all the rules to prepare for Colleen's podcast. <laughs> and you were like, you're such a rule follower. But I am. I totally am. Right. So if somebody tells me to apply for a job a certain way, I'm going to 100 percent do it. But other people are like, well, I'm just going to apply this way instead, because to me, that shows like a different kind of thinking. You get extra points for me if you have followed all the instructions in my job posting. And you right. probably have a nice notebook, too. Right. And, and, and I think that people, and that sort of says something about um, the culture, the brand, right? Like, that all gets rolled together, I think. And mm -hmm. it's really important that people understand that, right? But if they don't follow the instructions, I don't know. They probably shouldn't be considered for the job. Because they're probably not going to yeah. fit really well, right? Because you need it to be buttoned up, not super loosey-goosey all over the place. That's right. Yeah, we're all about attention to detail here. Yeah. So. so one of the other things that you are also very passionate about is yoga. <laughs> I didn't even put that in my notes to you. You did not have <laughs> it in your notes. So for full disclosure, everybody, and we talked about this in other podcasts, I send out maybe five or six questions that just gets people thinking about what we're going to potentially cover, but it's far more interesting to not just ask questions and get responses that I could read to you, but to actually have a conversation. So um, one of the things is, you know, reflecting on your personal journey and yoga is like a part of your personal journey. Yeah, yoga has made it, and I don't want to try, sound too much like a hippy-dippy, like everyone Yogi. should do yoga, because it <laughs> might not be for everybody, but it has definitely, and this is probably, you could probably attest to this, because you've known me for a really long time, um, I think I've been doing yoga, like a lot of yoga, for like the last three years, and uh, I think it has really made me a much calmer more even-keeled person, a more empathetic person. Um, and, you know, I know some people might say that's, like, crazy. But it's also, for me, the type of yoga I do is good exercise, too. So maybe it's just that I'm exercising more than I used to. Um, but it is, a, like, it is a big thing for me. I am very um, committed to trying to get to yoga every day. I usually don't make it every day, but I probably make it six times a week. And I think it does make a difference. Um, I don't, I, I don't know if everyone who works for me would say, oh, she's so much more chill than she used to be. Um, but at least my kids have said that. And so, you know, kids are generally pretty honest about their parents. So, Well, I definitely think it has had a huge impact on who you are. Yeah, I think you're totally much more chill. And what's, I mean, when I, when Yvonne says that she does yoga she like seeks out yoga studios in different places so it's not like she goes to the same yoga studio and does the same yoga class because she's often in Pennsylvania or rest in Virginia or in another city and Boston where her daughters went to school and she's like finding the cool yoga studio in that particular neighborhood or that particular city. And I think that's really so interesting because then you see like this whole broad spectrum of like yogis and who's there and like, and just different techniques from different people. And, you know, you learn yeah, different it's styles, super right? Fun. Yeah. It's like yeah, a hobby. Yeah, it's very fun. It is. It's like, you know, someday when, you know, I don't have to work anymore, maybe I'll just do like a whole tour of the country and, you know, check out yoga studios in every city. I don't know. But it is fun to like find a place to, you know, when you're on a business trip or whatever. Because um, you do, you know, get to meet other people from cities and, you know, get a little bit of, especially if you're doing something touristy, you know, a yoga studio usually isn't a touristy thing. So you kind of get a sense of like who the people are who live there and what it's like and yeah it's been uh it's been kind of a cool addition to my life i like it so as you think about so it is something you can do for a very very long time so you're also a big mm -hmm. traveler like share some of your favorite places to go because you like you go to interesting places especially to see dave matthews yeah, I, yeah, I've always said that if I was independently wealthy, I might have been a Dave Matthews band groupie. I don't know. I think you might be um, considered a Dave Matthews band groupie. You think? 
No, there are people who are way bigger groupies than me. I've only been to, I don't know, 20, maybe 25 Dave concerts. I mean, there are people who have just like, who are truly groupie status. But I did go to see Dave in February in um, Riviera Maya in Mexico for three concerts, which was super fun. I've seen him all like all over the country, Seattle and Ohio and Florida and um, New Jersey. I saw him at, um, uh, in uh, Manhattan at, um, I think it was at, it wasn't at Radio City. I don't know, maybe it was Madison Square Garden. I don't know. Um, I mean, you know, he goes, if I can get there, you know, I'll go. So it's, yeah, I'm definitely, that's, that has gotten me probably more places than I would have, you know, toured otherwise. Um, but yeah, and I have, but I'm more of a city person. So if I can see him in a cool city, um, you know, I'll always do that. So I was happy when my daughters like moved to Boston and now I have one in Philly. So, you know, when Dave comes to Philly, I'll go see him there. So maybe, maybe Dave should know. You'd like to see him in Philly. Maybe he'll add that to his I know. calendar. Maybe I'll send him a note. So you are always, and as long as I've known you, been about the written word. You think you'll ever write a book? Mm. No, I don't see myself as a book person so much. Although, you know, you say that, you never know. Maybe I'll try to combine, like, all the things in my life and write some kind of a yoga book or something. Um, but, yeah, that's, like, that's some seriously long-form content, you know? I'm kind of a more mid-range gal. Well, it's so, it, you know, it's funny to me because people are like, oh, you, you know, if you're going to be a thought leader, you need to write a book. And people, somebody said to me yesterday, how come you've never written a book? I'm like, well, what would I write a book about? LinkedIn? Because I've actually written probably 400 blog posts about LinkedIn. So I've probably written three books, right? And, but I wouldn't write a book about LinkedIn, because as soon as you write a book about LinkedIn, LinkedIn changes everything. So your book's out of date, right? It's kind of hard. I'd have to write about something different. But that is almost like a business card for, you know, you don't write a book anymore, it seems like, to be selling a whole lot of copies of the book, but it's almost like a business card, right? And help yeah. people create credibility. Um, What's your thought on that? Because I think I kind of go back and forth on that. I can't decide. I mean, I know it's a big thing. Um, it, it can feel a little bit like an everybody's doing a thing. Like Mike Sweeney would say, that's like you're trying to be a lookalike or a sheep, right? You're just doing something because everybody else is doing it and you feel like you have to do it. And that might be true in some scenarios. Like, you know, if you're trying to keep up with, you know, your biggest competition and that person's got, you know, a real thought leader personality and they have a book, you may have to, you know, get on the bus and write yourself a book. <laughs> um, I guess it sort of depends on also like who you want to be, right? Some people have made a whole brand and a whole business of, of just, you know, speaking engagements, speaking tours, conferences, podcasts, and like whatever happens in the rest of their business is like somebody else's handling right? Because that is who they are. They're on the circuit. And so, yeah, they probably got to have a book. Um, I, I, you know, I guess it's to me, like, like kind of like you said, why? Mm -hmm. Like, why are you doing it? You know, like, is there going to be a return on your investment? Like any other piece of content, is there an ROI on your book? I don't know. Like, Colleen, you have so many blog posts. Here's a, here's a repurposing exercise. <laughs> I bet you we could get a book out of all those blog posts that oh, you've written. Thanks. Right. I mean, I actually, right? it's funny, right? I think, oh, I actually probably have the book already written. It just needs an editor and you be probably, compiled. That's, that is probably exactly right. Because you could pick through there and be like, okay, of the whatever, 800 blog posts that you probably have, 500 of them could be linked together with some kind of thread that would, you know, you could focus on one topic and be like, well, there's your book, right? You just need whatever, month of editing and we'll get you published. Yeah. So yeah. there you go. There's your answer. You already have a book. You just haven't uh, repurposed yet. Yeah. And I think probably yeah. lots of people, but it's, it's a, it's another initiative, right? It's not just a thing to do. It's like, it always has more, how you're going to market it. Like there's so much around all of this, right? And it always comes back to, well, how are you going to market it? Who's going to, what are you going to do with it? Right. right. And like the whole why thing. And when you think yeah. about where you and I kind of came from and like, it's a fascinating time to be doing the work that we're 
doing. Yours is different than mine. But we're sort of enmeshed in this world where there's a lot of people trying to talk to a lot of people and use content in a certain way. Where's it going? Like, where do you, where mm-hmm. do you guys, because I know you guys have conversations about, like, what's next, right? Like, yeah, I mean, I don't think it is only going to get noisier. And certainly, I, I really don't think there's going to be some kind of shift at some point where people are like, hey, here's a different kind of marketing. We're all going to stop using content. Like, I don't really see that. Now, you know, I think that you, the evolution is that the, the, the types of content, I mean, you've already seen this, the types of content that people are using are going to start to change, right? They already have. Um, so even when I started doing this, we were writing blog posts, we were making eBooks and white papers and, um, email newsletters and webinars. And every once in a while we threw in an infographic, but now it's like very, um, people are consuming content in different ways. Their attention spans are much shorter. So eBooks are like half the length, right? Um, and so many more people prefer video now. And, and obviously, here we are talking on a podcast, right? The podcast thing is huge. People love their podcasts. Um, and so I think you will see a shift um, into kind of different formats. Um, you know, interactive content, we do a lot of that. But, you know, everything from, you know, I always use the example when people are like, well, what's interactive content? I mean, it's the, like, which Disney princess are you quiz, <laughs> right, on Facebook? Like, that's it, right? It's your, it's your company's version of which Disney princess are you, right? So it's which, which software is right for you. It's what job is right for you, right? All of those things are, are, that's not going away, right? And there's a million different types of interactives that you can create, right? We've done interactive eBooks and interactive infographics, and there are lookbooks and, you know, product selectors and all kinds of things that you can do to sort of engage people and whole, the great thing about them is that you get data, right? They get to be engaged and interested in what they're, what they're answering or what they're um, moving through in terms of the content type. You get all the data based on what selections they've made. You know, are you interested in this? Or are you interested in that? And then, you know, our clients can use that information to say, well, gosh, everybody is answering, you know, I'm more interested in, you know, a test, a test on this service than, a, you know, something else. Right. So, well, OK, that that informs the next piece of content. Let's do something only on testing. Right. And so it's that is going to change how we make our decisions on content based on how people are interacting with what you already have. So I think that's really it, it's all going to be about engaging the audience in different ways with new content types. Right. And it's it's mixing them together. Right. Because we talk about always talk about surrounding the castle. Right. I still prefer to read things. I don't really want to look at video. Not a video person. Lots of people would always choose video over reading something. I always look for the the transcription. So it's, you know, it's getting to the right audience with the right type of content. I don't think there are, I think there's always going to be people out there who would rather read and, and vice versa. There are people who would much rather get the information from a podcast or from a video or whatever. So this is, again, an exercise in repurposing, right? So you created a podcast. Okay, well, how many other things can you create out of this episode that we talked about? You know, if we talked about, you know, new types of content for a while, well, there's a blog post on new types of content. Or you can take those little tiny sound bites and put them out there on social, right? Like what other sort of micro content can you create from that one piece, right? Um, and I think that's, that's kind of what people that's all about the getting the value out of your content, right? Is a, an ebook could be repurposed into 15 other things, right? And people just don't do that. And so if you have an ebook, turn it into other formats that people who don't want to read an ebook are going to be interested in, right? You can even make a video that's just a graphic video. Take one little section, distill the main points down, put it into use, you know, one of the quick, free, cheap programs like Animoto or something like that where you can throw it together really easily and, you know, put 20 seconds out there on social and then drive people to your ebook. Right. This is great, right? This is all good stuff because what's, what's um, coming to mind is, but just to do this without a strategy is silly, right? But if you have a strategy yeah. for it, 
Like, okay, this is one thing we can do, and let's identify the eight ways that we can repurpose, repackage, re-promote, right? Like, we would get so much further with the, the content that we're creating. Right, and so much more bang for your buck, right? right? Because rather than the money you would have to spend creating those eight or 15 pieces of brand new content on different subjects, you already have all the information, right? So you're like cutting your time like in half and you're feeding different types of content to audiences in the way they want to get it. Um, so I do think like smart repurposing with a strategy, right? So choosing the topics that sort of feed your goal, right? There's, you're not, it doesn't matter if you're repurposing or creating new content. If you're all over the place, if you're creating whatever piece of content based on the idea that your CEO had in the shower this morning and came to your office and said, I've got a great idea. Let's create content on this. I mean, it's tough to say no, but if you have a plan and you have a strategy, at least you can point to it and say, well, we were only going to create content in these three sort of theme areas, right? Because that is what addresses our marketing goals and our business objectives. And so we have to stay on those tracks, right? But a lot of companies have, you know, if you pick three areas, I bet you most companies have content already in whatever those areas are that they would need. They're just not going back to the well and saying, well, what can we actually get out of that? Could we, could we squeeze another blog post out of whatever we did back then? Or remember that interview that our CEO did with whoever? Well, why don't we try to get some more mileage out of that, right? Let's write something about that or take a little piece out of it. And um, so I do think, you know, it's absolutely critical to do the strategy and the planning first, because otherwise you're not going to get the results, right? You might, you might have a bunch of traffic on a particular topic, but if it doesn't have enough to do with actually what you're selling, you can show whoever leadership, all the, the metrics on, you know, page visits or whatever, or the number of blog posts, you know, readers, but if it doesn't have enough to do with driving leads for you, if it's just some topic that's way out there, you know, some tangential thing that somebody thought of, it's not going to help you anyway, even if you get thousands of you know readers if they're not your customers who cares right exactly I remember you used to say to me stay to your topic stay to your audience you can rant every eighth or ninth blog post right like if I wanted mm -hmm. to do a little bit of a rant just to be like hey everybody start paying paying attention you always kind of just reminded me every eighth or ninth you can kind of go off the reservation a little bit and yes. you know mm -hmm. go go beyond where you should go but remember there's a purpose here and ranting yep. is not going to fulfill the purpose <laughs> That's true. It is true. I know we all like to rant every once in a while. Every once in a while, I get on the blog too and say, oh my gosh, I just have to talk about the dumb things that I heard this week. Realizing that that's not exactly the purpose, but it, is, it does make you feel good and it's okay to do now and then. Um, but that's, those are the things that you can do when you have an engaged audience, right? Because your audience is going to be like, oh, that's funny. That's Colleen ranting again. We'll read that because right. she's kind of amusing when she does that. And next week, she's going to have a great piece of educational content for us again. Right. Yeah. I think that's a little bit about, you're, you're absolutely right. You've got to have at least a small group of people who get you, who understand where it's coming from, why you're doing it, and be like, okay, yeah, great. She'll get back to the point next week. Yeah. All good. Well, we <laughs> exactly. could talk about this for a long, long time uh, because there's so much around the content piece. And, and I think it's one of the pieces that is still really complicated and a bit of a mystery. If people are not creating content, and there are certainly lots of companies that we talk to. I talked to somebody this morning, really great size company, working globally, no content. What would you say to that kind of company? Hello. Well, like, Besides am hello. It, am I saying it like right to them or am I saying it to you? Because if I'm saying it to you, I'm like, really? How is that even possible today in 2019 that you don't know that you need to create content? Um, what would I would say to them? Dude, you need to get going, right? Like, what's your competition doing? I can't imagine there's an entire sector industry out there where no one's creating content, right? We've, we've worked with some folks who, you know, they still love their print and, you know, 
but but they know they need to create content, right? It's about educating your audience. I mean, this as new as content marketing was, like when you and I started doing it, like it's been around for a really, really long time, right? There's companies like John Deere, like they say that that was the first piece of, mm-hmm. of true content marketing, right? They had their magazine, they started making it in, I don't know what it was, 1897 or something like that, right? Just purely educational information for farmers. It wasn't about John Deere tractors or whatever, but that's how they became thought leaders in their space, right? And so it's the same thing for any industry, like provide some good educational information for people who are searching around what you do. And if you provide enough of it, then all of a sudden they realize you're the expert. So when they do want to buy something, maybe not tomorrow, maybe next year, they'll be like, oh, those guys know about that subject. Let's see if they can help me with my problem, right? Like, I don't know. If you don't know that by now, hopefully you're listening to this so that you know that you should go find somebody to help you create content. Right, exactly. I know. I'm like, wow, you're only going to get so far in today's world with no content. I'm a big proponent mm-hmm. of content. So where can people find you and Right Source Marketing? Well, me? Um, well, Right Source Marketing is technical. RightSourceMarketing.com. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, and, you know, I'm on there, on the website. I don't know. Uh, if you need, if you, even if you just need, like, should I do content? How could I possibly start with this? You know, it might not be us, and we're happy to tell you that, right? Um, but there are lots of people out there who can help you, even if you're starting super small um, and you don't have budget to hire a whole agency. There are ways to do content without having to break your bank. If you're like a one-person shop or you're really small and you don't have the budget, like you still should create content. It doesn't have to be all the time. You don't have to be a machine. But you know, you kind of do need that for even all the personal branding reasons we were talking about. So, um, you know, if you want us, rightsourcemarketing.com. There you go. <laughs> um, find Yvonne but, on LinkedIn, right? You can find me on LinkedIn. That's true. I am there. My, my profile is expertly updated because I <laughs> consult with you on what I should do when, I, <laughs> when I'm not sure. So hopefully it's a testament to the right way to do your LinkedIn profile. Absolutely. It does look good. And you can definitely (laughs) connect with Yvonne. You can check out their website, read their copy. They have lots of, they've written a lot on content so you can gain some really valuable information and insight. This has been so much fun. As always, we could chat for hours on end and maybe we'll move this over to a glass of wine and a book club discussion i don't know well all right thanks so much for being with us and we'll see you you on the next podcast take care and that's all for indispensable thanks for joining us we hope to catch you on our next episode grab our show notes review them check out the links included and head over to interoadvisory.com to learn more about the work that we do in our community and with our clients <laughs>